0: Let's turn together to the New Testament, First Corinthians, as so we embark on a sermon series through this um, complex, in some senses, uh, epistle, it's complex, there's some things that are difficult and confusing about it, and yet in another sense, as one pastor has said, this is the most practical of Paul's letters, and uh, part of my hope for this evening is Uh, sort of giving us an overview of why this book was written or this letter was written um, and the the context of uh, the situation in Corinth. And in doing that, we can see why it is that this epistle is indeed so applicable and so practical. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in just the first three verses. Paul And the Lord Jesus Christ. The grass withers, the flower falls off. This is the word of our Lord. It it endures forever. Keep the uh, the Bible open, if you will. We're going to kind of skip around uh, through portions of this book in just a moment. I was thinking this afternoon about uh, some of the business drama that's been unfolding in recent years for the Disney Corporation. Uh, back in 2020. Bob uh, Iger, the CEO, stepped down after 15 years at the helm of uh, that massive media empire. He had a successful time there as the chief executive, and he was followed uh, by what turned out to be a brief two-year stint uh, by Bob Chapek. Under Chapek's watch, you might know, uh, stocks plummeted. And things went from bad to worse for Disney. And so what did the board decide to do? Uh, They, of course, uh, let Chapek go. But not only that, they brought in the former CEO, Bob Iger, to come back and and resume his uh, previous position. Um, So for lack of a better illustration, I thought that 1 Corinthians is a letter that is something like Iger's return to Disney. Here we have Paul, who planted the Corinthian church uh, being called upon by people who are seeing that it's really there's this spiral, downward spiral taking place in the church. It needs help. It needs to be fixed. They need somebody to write the ship. Who better than the original guy there, the guy who planted the church? And so he's called upon. He hears some bad things that are taking place, and he writes this letter. He writes it, as you'll see in verse 1, uh, with a ministry p- partner, uh, Sosthenes, Uh, And he's writing to a church that we first learned of back in Acts chapter 18. uh, When Paul spent, in fact, uh, 18 months in Corinth planting and building up the church there. But things have not gone well since Paul's departure. Uh, Really, just two overall points uh, tonight. And this is the first one. The Corinthians are problem people. The Corinthians are problem people. People. The first thing we need to know to situate ourselves to properly appreciate this letter is that the Corinthians are problem people. And I don't mean, uh, by the Corinthians, I don't mean the citizens of Corinth, although that is certainly true. They certainly had a whole, whole host of problems. Corinth was a, a bustling um, a commercial center. All major trade routes uh, intersected there. Uh, They brought goods from all over, and with that kind of traffic, they brought all kinds of sin and evil as well. Uh, Because it was something that was trafficked so heavily, it also meant there was a great deal of anonymity. So you could go in and go out, and nobody would be the wiser. Uh, And so there was all kinds of immorality that was bred by that. Uh, So it was a corrupt city. Um, It was an idolatrous city. It had a temple to the goddess Aphrodite, the god of love. Uh, and the temple there employed uh, 10,000 cult prostitutes. And so uh, the phrase, a woman from Corinth, was another term for a prostitute. That's how um, common they were. And you would just say, that that's a woman from Corinth. And that, that was the euphemism there. Uh, likewise, a common Greek verb, Corinthiazane, uh meant to play the Corinthian. And that meant to... Um, uh, commit fornication so uh, today we say you know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas back then they said you're playing the Corinthian um, that was the idea that Corinth was just a, set, a city uh, um, a center of corruption so Corinth is problematic but but what we're seeing in first Corinthians as you read the letter is that that corruption had infiltrated the church the uh, members of the Corinthian church are the problem people that I'm talking about and we see that from this letter, in a way unlike most of the other letters that we have from Paul, because it is a letter that you can actually outline um, by the various problems that Paul addresses in the church. That's how you can understand, the, like, kind of get the map, the, the uh, layout of this epistle. Um, and we can trace out no less than six areas of concern in, in the church there, so that's, that's why I want to do real briefly so you can see the kind of problems that that Paul's trying to address here The problems that the people are dealing with the first is you just look to verse 11 of chapter 1 The first problem perhaps the most major issue there is that the church was divided um, uh, The members were divided amongst themselves Paul says it has been reported to me. So word has come to him from chloe uh, That there is quarreling among you my brothers uh, and this theme continues through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter four. So that's the first major problem and takes up a good portion of the book and that is people um, who were uh, divided and they, they were taking sides. Uh, I'm, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos. Uh, no, I'm, I'm the super you know uh, spiritual among you I'm with Christ and people were divided and they turned uh, against each other. When we get uh, to, uh, chapter 5, then we find the second issue. If you turn there, another thing that has been drawn to Paul's attention from perhaps Chloe's people again, verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Uh, so that, that's the second problem, uh, that their behavior, sexual behavior is, is corrupt. Um, and it's not just corrupt. Paul says it's it's really as corrupt as it can be. It is of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. And Paul will go on to denounce the Corinthians for the ways they use their bodies, and, and which are now temples of God's spirit. Uh, that's the end of chapter 6. Do you not know, this is verse 19, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. But they weren't doing this. And then Paul goes on in chapter 7 to talk about marriage and, and sex within marriage. Um, but the third problem, then, is we find in chapter 8. So the first problem is that they are divided. Second is sexual immorality. Third, Paul addresses debates surrounding food that's been offered to idols. So the differing opinions on that matter were further further dividing the church, and Paul addresses matters of conscience here and christian liberty but the concern generally speaking is that the corinthians were not loving one another Uh, they were not deferring to one another over this um, complicated issue about food offered to idols then in chapter 11 uh, paul handles a host of issues about um, things that were taking place in public worship how uh, the, the women were dressing, and who was speaking, and who's praying, and the way they would observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, it, it got so bad. Look at verse 17 of chapter 11. Uh, he says, when you come together i.e. for worship, it is not for the better, but for the worse. That's how bad uh, si- the situation is in Corinth. That Paul is saying, it would actually be better if you guys didn't meet on Sundays. That's, that's how bad it is uh, in Corinth. That's the fourth issue is worship fifth in chapters 12, 13 and 14. Paul speaks of spiritual gifts and the abuse of them, the misuse of them, the neglect of spiritual gifts and how the people are not building up the church in love. Now we've reached chapter 15. We come to the final issue that is being dealt with. And that is a theological one. You see there verse 12 of chapter 15 and he's, uh, Addressing a doctrinal error that needs to be corrected. Verse 12, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So there are people in the Corinthian church that didn't believe the, the resurrection, um, or in if even if they might have believed in the resurrection of Christ and believe in a general resurrection of believers. So a, a serious doctrinal issue. So in summary um here's a, you know, here's a book where you can, as I mentioned, you can just outline it by the problems that Paul is addressing. And, and in summary, the problems are, are these, that you have a church that does not treat each other like Christians should. Uh, they do not worship like Christians should. They do not even believe the way that Christians should. Uh, and so in the words of one commentator, the Corinthian Christians exhibit in their beliefs, attitudes, choices, and behaviors a worldview that at many points is insufficiently formed by, and at points even antithetical antithetical to, the gospel. They have, as Christians, they're they're professing believers, and yet they have a worldview that at points is insufficiently informed by the gospel, and at other points it's not just insufficiently informed by, it's it's entirely antithetical to the gospel. And so Paul has to uh, speak to them about these issues. The problems of the world had become the problems of the church, making the congregation at Corinth problem people for Paul. The people at Corinth were problem people. But here's the good news, and here's what makes 1 Corinthians such an uplifting letter. Imagine that after that survey. I'm going to tell you now it's an uplifting letter. Uh, here's what makes it an uplifting letter when it otherwise could seem pretty discouraging. It's about problem people, and the good news is this. Problem people are still God's people. Problem people are still God's people. In fact, all of God's people are problem people. Uh, you have problems. I have problems. Uh, you're a sinner. We're all sinners. Uh, and so if you have uh, problems, if you feel stuck at times in uh, your sin, if you don't act the right way all the time, if you don't think the right way all the time, that does not believe, mean that you do not belong to God. Actually, it means, it means that you have met the prerequisite for belonging to God. You recognize you're a sinner. And God is for sinners. God is for problem people. And that's where Paul starts this letter. And uh, it's really an encouraging thing, especially if you look at back to chapter 1 and you look at verse 2. After that survey that we've just done, isn't it an astounding thing that he would say, as he does in verse 2, that he is writing to what he calls the church of God. To the church of God. God owns you, Corinthians. God has not disowned you, Corinthians. Corinthians. You belong to him. He is your God. These are the people of God. And so because of that, uh, Paul is going to go on and say three wonderful things uh, that they have from God in verses 2 and 3. So we've seen that uh, the Corinthians are problem people. That's the first thing. The second thing is that problem people are, are still people of God. And um, under that heading, I want us to consider these three things that the Corinthians have that show they belong to God. They have, first, an identity, second, a mission, and third, a blessing. An identity, a mission, and a blessing. This is proof that they belong to God because they have these three God-given things. First, a God-given identity. Look at verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, and Paul then says to these Corinthians, he refers to them as those who are, quote, Sanctified in Christ Jesus, not those who who need to be or should be or must be or will be one day, but those who right now are sanctified. it's the word for uh, holiness. Uh, it means set apart, designated for something special. These people in Corinth are designated for God they're set apart. Uh, in fact, the word Paul uses here is a form of the same word that he's going to use in the next phrase when he says that they are called to be saints. Saints. It's the come, that sanctification saints they come from the same root word. And so what Paul is saying is, is that these are the people who are, are, are holified, holified, sanctified, holified, right? Um, they are made saints in Christ Jesus. What an astounding statement. People who, in a few paragraphs, are going to be reprimanded for their pride, their selfishness, their perversion, a perverse sexual sin that Paul says, I can't even really get into the details, it's so bad. These same people, he says, they're holy. What? How can he say that? Well, here's a critical point in understanding what it means to be a Christian. Whether you are holy or not, and what what I mean by that is whether you are set apart for God or not, or or whether you are set apart from the world or not, in the final analysis, that um, does not depend on if you act like it or not, because what it depends on is if God has set you apart. That's why he says they're those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, not you or me, is the ultimate determiner if we are holy ones or not. Not our performance. Not our good works. I am not a, a saint because I am saintly. I am a saint because Jesus has claimed me for himself. And by his spirit, he has set me apart. And Paul is saying that's true of the Corinthians. That's true of the Corinthians. Uh, I wonder if it's uh, curious to you that Paul would say, use this phrase, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and not those sanctified in the Holy Spirit. I think if, if you're kind of theologically wired, you hear sanctification and you think that's something the Holy Spirit does. And it almost maybe sounds wrong to say you're sanctified in Christ Jesus. Uh, well, while it's true the Holy Spirit is instrumental in bringing about the change that is necessary uh, as a follower of Christ, the change we need in our hearts, sanctification still is in one sense first and foremost a work of the Son because um, it's first and foremost about making us like the Son. In other words, if we don't have Jesus, there's nothing to be sanctified unto. Uh, he is the one who who comes as the Holy One. He lives a life of perfection, and the work of the Spirit is to make us look more and more like Him, to live like He did, to love like He does. So you can't understand sanctification apart from Jesus. Look down at verse 30 uh, at the end of chapter 1. Paul is going to say there, because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, and he says, Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God, Righteousness and sanctification. He became sanctification for us. And uh, that that is, he came and he lived a perfectly holy life, a life entirely consecrated or set apart for the Father. Uh, And when we are in Christ, we are brought into that. He became for us sanctification. Now we are sanctified in him. And the Spirit's job is to take the things of Christ and make them true of us. And that means we're no longer defined by our allegiance to sin... Um, or the domain of darkness, but by our citizenship in the kingdom of Christ Jesus. Colossians uh, one thirteen has that wonderful statement that we've been transferred from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. We are sanctified. This is our identity. And that is something that God alone can give. And he gives it even to the Corinthians. And I'm going to keep saying this, but hopefully you're getting the point. That means he is saying it to people like you and me too Uh, there's no reason for you to be sitting there and thinking well uh, certainly this can't be true of me because of and then you list the sin in your in your mind that you're struggling with and you think i can't be a saint we have been given first corinthians so that we can recognize wretches are the ones that belong to god and not only that but they're not defined as wretches anymore but by but as sinners saved by grace They're defined by their allegiance to Christ Jesus. That's why we've been given this epistle. This is for us. That identity that the Corinthians have is an identity you have if you belong to Jesus. Well, he gives them something else or reminds them of something else they've been given, and that's a mission. So uh, there's an identity. We are those who are in Christ. We're sanctified in Christ. But then there's a uh, a mission. What is the mission? Well, while it's true our holiness in one sense is something that is objectively true of us in Christ it is still accurate to say that it's something we need to subjectively experience or pursue. So that's why the next phrase says, Paul says, they're sanctified in Christ, but then he also says, they're called to be saints. You are holy, and you need to act like you're holy. So there's still this mission. There's still this demand upon them. In other words, Paul's not letting them off the hook. They aren't permitted to to rest in their justification. They can't say, well, you know, I know, uh, justifications just as if I never sinned. And so I don't need to worry about, you know, acting differently or, or, um, pursuing after God more fully because in the end he's going to, you know, uh, clear all my, uh, guilt and, and take care of, of all my sin. And, um, I don't need to worry about, uh, becoming holy. Well, that's not what Paul says here. He says you can't rest in your justification and use that as an excuse not to grow. Their justification is actually what demands their sanctification. Their identity is what sends them on this mission, right? Um, There is no other way to take Christ. You can't say that you have Christ for forgiveness of sins and then you don't have him or don't need him for sanctification, if Christ is really your Savior, then he's your Lord. If he saved you from your sins, then you need to live like it and not, not live in your sins any longer. There's no way to have Jesus. Uh, there's no other way to have Jesus. If you take him, you're not just taking justification, you're taking sanctification too. Uh, John Calvin puts it really provocatively like this. He says, it follows that Christ justifies no one whom he does not at the same time sanctify. These benefits are joined As if by a permanent bond, and now, although they may be distinguished, Christ nevertheless contains both of them inseparably, justification and sanctification. They're together inseparably. And then he says, would we receive righteousness in Christ? We must first possess him, but we cannot possess him without sharing in sanctification because he cannot be divided into pieces. He says, you can't amputate sanctification off of Christ. If you take Jesus, he's going to change your life. And if your life isn't changed, then you might, wonder, you might do well to wonder, have you actually taken Jesus? Have you actually accepted him? Have you actually bowed the knee to him? So according to Calvin, trying to take Christ without becoming like Christ is tantamount to dismembering the person of Christ. Salvation and sanctification go together. Once we are saved from sin, God expects us to live like it. And really, that is the key to sanctification. It is, you know, in one sense, it's not a complicated doctrine to live out. Um, We don't need, uh, um, um, you know, a a chart. How how can I be holy? It's as simple as this. Sanctification is this. Here's the key. Be who you are. Be who you are. Be who you are in Christ. Live out your identity in Christ. We are called to sanctification. Sanctification. And there's another encouragement here, the way that Paul phrases it, when he says you're called to be saints, again, this is from God, this mission is from God, this calling is from God, and God's uh, call is effectual. So, in other words, if he calls you to, to, to sainthood, to saintliness, uh, he's going to affect what you need in your heart and in your life to acquire it. To acquire it. So, saying that the Corinthians are called to be saints is not only a statement of their mission, but also the declaration and the promise that the mission will be accomplished. What, what good news for us? Don't we need to know that? As we're called to live holy lives, if we're called by God, we will live holy lives. Sin's not going to win in the end. It won't. It won't. This is a privilege of belonging to God as we have this mission, and the mission will be fulfilled. It's a privilege that belongs to uh, to all those, this is verse 2, all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the the promise of growth in godliness and the call to live in light of that promise uh, comes to every believer, um, no matter their state, uh, where they are, and no matter their status, uh, uh, how they are perceived. Uh, incidentally, this is a great proof text uh, for the doctrine of the... Um, Invisible Church, sometimes the Universal Church, but that idea that uh, time and space uh, cannot uh, s- separate or divide those who are united in Christ. Uh, but instead, as Paul says, uh, something that they share together with all those who, in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We we uh, who share we who share a faith share each other. And it's a wonderful uh, truth there. So so we have the mission though. The identity, they are sanctified in Christ, the mission, they're called to be saints. Um, Beyond that, Paul says there's a third thing that the Corinthians have that is proof that they really are the church of God in Corinth and that they really do belong to God, and that's a blessing. We see that in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is the standard greeting for any Pauline epistle. Uh, We find this, you know, six or seven times in the New Testament— and yet I think it takes on some new significance in light of what comes after it. The only reason that the people in this letter uh, could possibly be called saints is because of the grace of God. Uh, grace to you. This blessing is actually what informs your identity and what will sustain your mission. And what a wonderful way to open up a letter uh, that's going to handle some really difficult subject matter. Uh, but by beginning with uh, what is true then by nature of of the gospel, uh, by the nature of grace. And it's not just how the letter starts, it's really how the Christian life starts, isn't it? Uh, We start with grace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, a grace that gives us a peace in our hearts and a grace and peace that then sustains us our whole uh, journey. We start there with God's grace and we cling to it our whole life. And so we ask, how could the Corinthians possibly be considered saints. Well, it's the same way that wretches like you and me can be considered saints as well, by grace and by grace alone. And so this is a book written for people like you and me, messy people who need to be brought back uh, to the fundamentals of the faith and live in greater obedience. Uh, That is why, as I mentioned earlier, one pastor said it is the most practical of Paul's letters. It is so easy to apply it to us. And so if you find yourself in a mess, uh, if... Um, You feel like you're making a mess of your life in your marriage or maybe at uh, work or at uh, home, uh, maybe with your private worship or in your thought life or with your uh, friends, um, whatever it might be. If you feel like you've made a mess of things, remember that this is the starting point, and this is the point also from which we can never depart. It's by remembering our identity in Christ, the mission that we've been given to follow after him, and how all of those things are formed and fueled by nothing other than the grace of God. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for the gospel, and we thank you that you privilege us who are so unworthy uh, to be uh, called saints Uh, We recognize that uh, your declaration of us is not true uh, to um, um, how we live out our lives. We are still sinners as well. And yet we do believe that if you call us saints, if we are saints in your sight, we will be more and more transformed to live like it. And we do believe on the great last day we will be freed from sin entirely. And we will sing of your amazing grace all the days of of eternity, even as we sing it of it this evening. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.